if I'm sitting here listening to this and I, it's me five years ago, what I'd want someone to tell me is number one, I'd want to hear I'm not alone because we think we're alone in our struggles. So knowing when you, you're, when you join a group or surrender or are willing to say, I'm having a problem with my job or drinking or whatever it is, you, you need to know you're not alone. That, that everybody, you find groups and people that you feel connected to. Also, you know, we only get one life. I, I'm, I'm midlife right now and I'm writing a new chapter of my life that I never thought would be this chapter five years ago. And I couldn't be happier, but we only get one. It's never too late and we're never too old. So if you're sitting there, you're thinking, God, I'm 60. What, what hope do I have? It's not too late. There's always hope. And who cares what people think? Like that is a big one. Drop the narrative that people care what you're doing. <laughs> because if you are identifying, well, if I say that, then she's going to think that I can't leave my job because of that. I you, you got to focus on yourself and really nobody cares at the end of the day, except for you. And we got to let that go. So mm -hmm. having the willingness, knowing it's not too late and really dropping the narrative that people care. I mean, they care for you, but that they're going to be, that you got to do it for you. You can't do anything yes. for anybody else. Welcome to the HNL Movement Podcast, where everything is geared to leveling up your performance in activities, sports, and life. Join me in my professional journey as I share my knowledge and experiences while also learning from professionals, colleagues, clients, and you with one goal in mind, how to optimize human performance. This is the right place to learn how a multidimensional approach will sustain the performance and lifestyle you desire. Welcome back, everyone, to the HNL Movement Podcast. For all of my new listeners out there, thank you for tuning in. And we have a very exciting episode planned with a special guest today. For all of my returning listeners, thank you again for all of your support. You're all in the right place to hear about everything that deals with optimizing human performance. If you haven't heard some of the previous episodes, go check out the previous library of episodes on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. And there's a combination of solo topics where I cover certain concepts, strategies, techniques, and break down some of these concepts that deal with human performance. And also there's been a ton of great guest interviews. Guests come on and share their stories, their experiences, their journey that we can all relate to in some way and help us along our journeys. Also for more free content outside of this podcast, go check out my YouTube channel where I'm putting up video highlight clips of the guest interviews so you can watch some of the video content that matches what you've been listening to on this podcast. And also a lot more topics, videos, tutorials, things are coming out on my YouTube channel. So if you like that content, subscribe to my YouTube channel, like those videos and share them with family and friends. Also, there's more free content on my social media platforms and you can find me across the board at HNL Movement. So go check that out as well. With that, let's jump into today's episode and it's an exciting one. I had a pleasure talking to this guest and we have Michelle Hillier sharing her story on this episode. And she has had so many great experiences. She has also overcome a lot of adversity throughout her life, but especially through the pandemic. And she is reaching and inspiring and helping so many people living healthier and happier lifestyles. This is a great episode to listen to if you're going through any struggles right now, or if you're just thinking that something is not quite right or something is missing to help me flourish and optimize my performance or be the best person that I can be. Michelle not only has a lot of great information to share, but her energy is contagious. And this was just a great episode and a great conversation. I'm so glad that I got connected with her. Be sure to stay to the end. Check out all the great things that she's doing with Breath and Fire. Check out her website, her social media, and apply her wisdom from this episode and all of her free content out there to help you navigate and live the lifestyle that you desire. Without saying anything more, let's jump into this episode. It was extremely fun to record and talk to her, so I hope you enjoy this episode too. Welcome back everyone to the HNL Movement Podcast. We have a very exciting episode planned today, and I want to welcome Michelle Hillier to the podcast. So thank you so much for joining me, Michelle. Thank you, Andrew. I'm excited to be here. Yes, yeah, so Michelle has done 
a lot of different things from keynote speeches to helping people one-on-one to creating, we'll get all of into all of this in the episode, but to creating even these movement and courses and classes that reach tons of students. I think over a million students you've reached with your programs. So there's a lot of things to talk about here. And we're going to first start by, well, why don't you give everyone a brief snippet about your brand, Breath and Fire, and some of the things that you're looking forward to doing? Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you so much, Andrew. So I've so I've been in movement and dance and basically anything involving the, the body I've been involved in since my mom always says, you know, before I could walk, I was dancing. <laughs> so body movement and music and just, you know, that has been part of my life forever. So Breath and Fire, I feel like is an iteration of like many different things I've done from a young age. Um, I was a professional dancer for many years in my 20s. Uh, actually, I ended my contract in Hawaii. That was where my cruise ship, I worked on a cruise ship. So that, oh. that was where uh, our contract ended. That was my one time in Hawaii mentioning that you were there. So, you know, years on stage performing and then that led itself to also, hey, maybe I should teach dance and then also teach fitness. So I, I've also been in the fitness industry since I've been 20, which is going to you know reveal my age, but, you know, just over 25 years. So, um, you know, teaching fit, group fitness classes, personal training, teaching dance. And it's been great. It's been a, a great career for, for um, truly. However, Breath and Fire was born organically in the last 18 months um, because during COVID, I think we can all agree, we all had a story. There was, everybody was shifted into a different way of reality, a different, you know, there was a new norm for everybody when it, even when it came to moving their bodies. So I'll get into a bit of that, my personal story after, but in terms of Breath and Fire, I knew there had to be more than just moving the body. I, I found a deeper connection to meditation uh, and part of I'm, meditation practice every day. So deep meditation practice, moving my body differently. Um, after two surgeries I had in 2018 on my hips, so my body could no longer function like it used to, you know, harder, faster, stronger. Uh, fitness world was, it changed. So there were a lot of changes. And I thought, how can I create something in the absence of something, like, so I was looking for something like this. So in the absence of one, I created one. And that's what breath and fire is. So it's, it's the, the breath is the calm and the grounding and the finding our sort of center and our, our breath, truly. And the other one is fire, which is our passion, our movement, our, you know, connection to people. And I, what it was, what I was realizing that for pre-COVID for 20 years, I was on fire. Mm-hmm. I was not giving my fire any air, any breath. So there was, that's what was missing was that calming, grounding and being aware of when I needed those pieces in my life in my days. So I, that's where breath and fire came out of journaling. I was journaling and doing my own thing, meditating, reflecting, moving still in a passionate sparked up way. But it was about, it was all about balance. And that was off for me personally, which led to sort of a, a crash and burn situation during COVID, which was a gift because it's, I've come out on the other side of it, but that's where Breath and Fire was, was created from. And the programs all reflect having people realize what is their breath, what brings them calm, what brings them fire, what brings them passion and ignites them. But let's talk about the balance. Yes. And then that's that you can do that forever. Yes, exactly. I completely agree. And I feel like we align in that way because you need a balance with all these different aspects of your life, right? And that's when we tend to thrive. We tend to, mm-hmm. you know, feel our best, perform our best and all of that. And yes, you're doing a lot of great things with Breath and Fire. And we're going to dive into your story. So sure. you kind of mentioned that, you know, you were moving, you were dancing at a young age, you even, you know, pursued dance as a career as a professional dancer. So let's dive into that a little bit. Like growing up, what are some of the things that were instilled in you growing up being a mover and being active all the time? And what was your childhood like? Oh, that's, I love this question. Um, Because I've done a lot of reflecting on it, you know, um, looking back, where, where did, where did all these ideas I have about myself and my body and my movement and my passion for all that? And why was I on fire? It has to have a root somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so my mother was a performer. She, she's still alive, but she was on stage all more in like community theater. So she put me on stage right away. So from seven years of age, I was put on stage and I did well and I excelled and I, you know, won the competitions, got the lead roles. So my, I identified with like the girl on stage 
that was part of my my identification and i lived it i rocked it i i i'm like i'm an extrovert that's who i am because i was conditioned to feel that way and she gave me you know the best love that she could she was just doing she was doing what she maybe didn't do as a child so she was living it through me which we hear a lot with parents <laughs> parents of, of athletes and mm-hmm. Yes. I, I see it. My son is 10. I see it with some of his the parents on the teams, right? Mm-hmm. They're more excited about their child's sports than the child is. Yes. So I think my mom really got me, got, like really loved the fact that I was on stage. And I loved it too. Mm-hmm. But there was, I didn't learn how to find my calm. I didn't learn, um, I, didn't, I didn't watch it. We're all conditioned by our parents as well. They model for us. Mm-hmm. And I didn't see calm in her life as well. My childhood was very busy. I was running from dance studios to field hockey pitch. I played field hockey as well to social events to, I was just busy. And then I just lived that way. I just thought that's the way it is. I became a fitness instructor and I went from class to class to class to out with friends to do this show to, it was just nonstop. And my, my body kept up until it sort of didn't keep up. (laughs) I, you know, it was tough, but uh, that, that was my childhood. It was very busy, active, but on stage identify with like you know got michelle gets love when she's the star got it yeah it sounds like you know dance took up a lot of time because for all you know dance athletes right at a young age the dance classes practices performance it takes up so much time during the week right and you briefly mentioned that you you know you're playing field hockey was there any other sports or activities that you also did physically i did yes I did. I when I was in high school, dance was big. I played field hockey as well, and played you know, on the track team and swam. I then went to university, and there, I didn't go for a dance program, so I, I purposely didn't study dance. I was already working professionally in my teens, like getting a paycheck to do a show. I was doing music theater, so I was singing and dancing. <laughs> so I thought I want to go study dance for a degree. So I went into just a bachelor of arts, and then eventually a bachelor of education. But while at university, I got busy with the um, this huge production, like a fashion show, would I directed mm-hmm. it. So that, that was kind of my dance outlet. Mm-hmm. But while at university, I swam vars- I swam on the varsity team. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be on a team, and they didn't make cuts on the swim team. <laughs> so my, you know, my roommate was a very, very high-level swimmer, and she said, join the swim team. We're going to Fort Lauderdale for swim training. It'll be fun. So I thought, sure. So I joined the swim team, and it was <laughs> so intense Andrew I'm like what am I doing but I did it because I like a child my body likes a challenge Mm -hmm. and it it, and so I did that for one year um but I've always just been active like I'll if we're at a friend's place or a cottage like I I want to be like not to sit around but let's do something so activity has been a huge part of my life yes so explain a little bit how did this progress into I'm assuming it was after college that you had that professional dance career performing and it sounds Mm -hmm. like you performed on cruise ships eventually. So Mm -hmm. how did that come to a reality that you could actually perform professionally and, you know, continue doing the things that you love? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, that was, that was pretty sweet. So uh, I was, I started my master's degree in geography of all things. I think I was just afraid to leave university and I wanted to stay in the institution. I was, I think a lot of students feel that way. Oh, I don't want to get a real job. So I was in the middle of my master's and then I auditioned for Norwegian Cruise Lines. I was 23, 23. And I got a job offer and with, with, they said, well, it's a quick contract. Can we send you your airline tickets in three days? We need you in Houston, Texas for rehearsals. And I thought, what a great out to get me out of this master's. I don't want to be in it anyway. (laughs) And within three days, I was down in Houston in rehearsals and then on a ship a week later, uh, cruising the Caribbean for a year, doing shows and getting getting, uh, paid to do shows. And that was great. It was a real eye-opening year for me. It was my first time globally traveling so i i grew up in a small town outside of toronto canada and we didn't travel more than like going to myrtle beach and just sort of staying as a family we did a lot of small town family things so i never saw the world so i saw it as a great opportunity to travel for free dance and meet people from around the world it was really eye-opening for me from a global scale of like oh i'm not i'm not alone in this world Mm -hmm. and it really inspired me so I, I came off the ship and um, I was trying to get on another ship. And you know, it's kind of funny about cruises. My height, I'm 5'3", and uh, small dancers are on small ships. 
So, cause the, the lounges are smaller, the roofs, God. the roofs of the lounges are smaller. So oh. I couldn't get on a ship cause of, I couldn't get another contract cause of my height. So I was kind of grounded back in Canada. And then I started um, working professionally in like summer theater, like musical theater. So it, it was an easy progression. I did, I did quite well. I had a good career. Got it. It sounds like it was, you went literally around the world cause you were on the ship for a year. So did you literally tour in every, no, I wish. every like, main <laughs> continent? No, no, I did oh. the same. I said we did the same loop. It sounds way more glamorous oh, than it was, Andrew. No, we did the same loop all through the Caribbean, and then okay. we actually went through the through the Panama Canal up to LA, and then over to oh. Hawaii. So that oh, was the God. biggest diversion we did. But we did we just loop through the yes. Mexican Peninsula. Yeah, got it. That's still an yeah. amazing experience. It's and still like said, wonderful. Yes, you yeah. get to see all the different areas, cultures, you know, people, and you get it was to see more the people on the ship because they employed people from all uh, the crew were from all around uh, the world. Yeah, that was the eye-opening piece for me. Yeah, got it, got it. Yeah, yeah, so those experiences are you know fascinating, and it really helps to guide you along this path that eventually, you know, you, you take a lot of lessons and things away from that too. Right. So because you were so active, let's talk a little bit about how was your body holding up at that time? Because usually when we're young, we're youthful, Mm -hmm. we recover well, you know, it's still not the best balance, but we're able to bounce back a little bit more quickly. So doing that year on the cruise ship, you know, being very active, how was your body at this stage in your life? That's a great, I, this is interesting to reflect back. I'd say uh, definitely, I was also quite fitness obsessed. So looking back, I had this sort of, you know, addiction to exercise, just being truly honest. So even though I was doing three shows a week, I was still in the gym that was on the on board. I did a couple of fitness classes here and there if they needed me, but it was all about getting my cardio in. It was some some cardio obsession that I had. I wasn't doing a lot of weights, so I but I have naturally just a good muscle memory. I've always had strong muscular build, which kind of served me well. So lots of cardio. It was all about how much I could sweat. And well, the other piece too, Andrew, is uh, they weighed us on the cruise ship. So it was um, now I never I there were other cast members that had some body image and eating issues as you can imagine when you're being weighed in every week so you have to mm-hmm. maintain a certain weight to be on the yeah. ship i never struggled with that and it was um it never affected me like mentally but i can see how it would so i my body was holding up it was strong i was doing tons of cardio i was eating well and i probably was not stretching enough now that i'm a yoga teacher and i see how my body really responds well to deep mm. long stretches and what yeah. feels good i was not probably stretching enough I see, but no significant injuries or nothing that kept no. out. Yes. No, and actually, and that's interesting. I, as a dancer, no injuries. No. Got it. My entire my entire career, no injuries. Wow, is that wild. is amazing. Yeah, that's a testament to how strong you were and how in condition you were. You know, so all of that obsession about fitness, right, and staying mm-hmm. in shape, that did actually help you at that point. I think to stay fit so that you could perform the frequency that you needed to and all of those types of things too, right? It did. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk a little bit about after that. You said you started doing like dance theater and then, you know, what types of things were filling your cup movement-wise, fitness-wise, but also what kinds of things were starting to pull your interest to not mm-hmm. helping others? Yes. Absolutely. So I after the the run of doing performing, I, I kind of left on a high. I didn't, I didn't get, it wasn't like I wasn't getting hired and I had, oh gosh, I better re- retire from this business. I, I felt like I bowed out gracefully. Mm-hmm. I was really sick of doing performances when everybody else in the world was off. So you work at, you end up working evenings and weekends when you're in theater. So I, I feel like I missed so much for years. And I thought, you know what? I, I think I, I should be a teacher. So I went back and did my education degree and I got a job. My very first job was high school dance and drama. So I was a high school dance teacher for three years. So in that time, you know, I love teaching and that got that I've always kind of been a teacher. I was that kind of 14 year old kid that led little dance things at the summer camps. And then I ended up being a counselor at certain theater camps. Like I've always had a, a very easy time getting little children to move. Mm-hmm. So that felt like a very easy transition. Now, working with teenagers was a different story. <laughs> and this was a, a school that, um, you know, was a community dance program. So they weren't trained dancers, but I really enjoyed my time teaching. What made me leave the classroom was the structure of 
education in general. So, you know, when you're in your classroom, you're in a little set of silo, but then just the having to go to the same building every day and <laughs> just yeah. be being in like a job, a quote job. Yeah. My entrepreneurial spirit was like, I think I want to do my own thing. I also mm-hmm. saw a desire for other teachers not really knowing how to do dance and movement in their classrooms. So I made the leap in 2005. So after three years of teaching and I started, I started my own business. I incorporated a company called fit to dance and I was offering fitness and dance workshops in schools across Canada. Got it. So that's sort of where that progression went. Yes. Let's talk about that because that turned into okay. a big program from what I can tell, right? And did, how yeah. that makes sense because all of that inspiration that you got, you know, I can provide this kind of void that's not being filled, right? And talk a little bit more about that program. Like what were some of the big obstacles and what hmm. was really the goal to reach? I think you reached over a million students. Oh, yeah. Over the last, it was a 10 year of doing it sort of uh, in Canada. And we ended up getting a lot of work in the USA as well. So it was, so dance traditionally, when you think about it, I mean, Andrew, if you didn't think of dance, you probably think of students lined up in a row, teacher at the front, the teachers doing certain steps and choreography and the kids are trying to follow. That is not for everybody. That, that to me is my philosophy is that is for the private dance studios where there is an end goal of perhaps competing or training like heavy and, and, you know, more focused on technical side of dance. Dance in the school system is for everybody. It should be for everybody. So I brought this new lens of more creative movement and bringing some fitness into dance. Like, Mm -hmm. let's get these kids heart rate up. Let's get their agility going. Let's get some functional work here. Let's get um, balance and flexibility. So I created this program called Groovin' Kids. And it was a program for, you know, preschool, pre-K, all the way to grade 12. And it was a program for any kid could feel like, yes, I'm a dancer. So it really broke down barriers and got a lot of attention from the physical health and education world in Canada. And I was sort of presenting at all the conferences across our country where then a lot of US people saw and we were doing some work down with Shape America. Oh. And I had a big contract at uh, Seattle Public Schools and in, in, um, down in Florida, New York City Public Schools. I presented for them a lot and did trainings. Mm-hmm. So it had a lot of traction and it had a lot of interest and it was, it was cruising along. So it was, it was called Groovin' Kids. And I had a team of facilitators that were going out to, to facilitate the experiences. And I was doing all this sort of the networking and mm-hmm. presenting on like the, the bigger stages to get the attention of the, the pockets, the dollars. <laughs> yes. No, that's yeah. awesome. And I think like, you know, those types of programs, like it actually reaches kids to inspire them or get them to start moving, right? And outlets mm-hmm. that they might not even you know, be aware of or exposed to, because it doesn't always exactly. have to be, like you said, a structured dance course or a structured competitive sports setting. It can be all these different mm-hmm. ways. And I think, especially around that time, right, 2005, I think you're seeing technology start to rise, right, a little bit, especially yes. if it was for 10 years. So you're getting these kids to move if they're not in one of those traditional kind of like sports team, dance studio, exactly. and those types of things. So I think that's awesome. And yeah. Even getting kids that, I mean, we got this a lot where teachers would look at us when their participant, their kids were participating and they'd be like, I can't get half these kids to move in sport or in my phys ed class in general. Look at them. Great music. They're stomping. Yes. They're swinging. They're, and they're expressing themselves. And yeah. guess what? They're sweaty. <laughs> Yes. So it, then they don't even know it. It's like the byproduct is it's like a workout in disguise, like exercise yeah. in disguise. I didn't make that up. My, my, my very good friend Ted made that up. But exercise in disguise <laughs> is what I did with grooving kids. Yes. It got, it, they had an amazing fitness based experience, yeah. yet they were moving their body creatively and expressively to global music. And it was uh, it was great. Yes. No, that's awesome. And I like how you said it, too, because, you know, oftentimes we only think of expressions or expressive creative outlets as like you know things that we have to do so-called art right but like Mm -hmm. movement that's expressing your body in a physical way too how to move right and a lot of times there's a lot of limelight on sports right you're seeing like oh they performed really well or doing stuff but it doesn't always have to be like that it can just be just for fun right and just get your body moving and all of those types of things yes so that is so awesome to hear it was awesome. I, I'm, I'm smiling just thinking about how, how great that was that time. Yes. So yeah, that rode up until about 20, 
2014, 15. Yeah. Okay. Was when we were doing the program quite heavily. Yes, that is awesome. So talk a little bit about, obviously that reached a lot of students, a lot of kids, right? Got them to move, exercise. And, you know, I think that's something that they'll take with them. It'll impact their life in some way to do mm. something fun and do something that gets them physically active. Talk a little bit about how you kind of, after that phase, what was the next chapter of yeah. you inspiring more people? Well, this is when I got pregnant with my son, okay. which I don't know if you're a father or yourself, but you're, my life was rocked being a mother. I, so, so I'm a business owner, 2012, got a team. And actually, funny enough, the day my son, whose name is James, he's 10, the day he was born, my team was in Boston presenting at the Shape America conference where Michelle Obama's Active in Schools campaign yes. was running. And we were part of, we were the only Canadian company down there presenting but I was in the hospital with giving birth so it couldn't have been so it couldn't have been like it just showing me how different my mm -hmm. life was going to be mm -hmm. with being a mother it was just mm -hmm. it was very I would never forget that moment they were they were calling me wondering if he had been born and they were in Boston yes. <laughs> so uh so what happened there is I just I couldn't do both I couldn't I couldn't be a mother a present mother and an, of a newborn which mm -hmm. is no one get no one there's no rule book for this so it was like the time the commitment that it, this, it just shaped it changed everything changed my body changed my um just changed everything mm -hmm. <laughs> being a mother and so i eventually so one of my team members kind of ran the company still a little bit with but i didn't have my leadership or my guidance as, as much i then started doing mom baby uh, groove dance classes so with okay. the babies in the carriers and that, and that could have been a whole franchise brand of itself if i wanted to make that because it, it, mm -hmm. it was the same philosophy creative movement expression fitness all wrapped up in disguise and then these new mothers and we're moving around the room connecting with each other and the babies are sleeping or drooling or whatever they're doing <laughs> and it gave me a chance to connect and bond with my son uh -huh. while still present presenting out to the world so mm -hmm. that was great um here's the big shift and it's more of a do you want me to stay in the business perspective side of things no. or shift into the, the hips anything is they're part of this yeah okay. anything that you want to talk about yes so i feel like i feel like at that point the trajectory of of continuing to do that in schools was sort of fading off. But the good news was we had trained enough teachers because I, I saw the sustainability as a, sustainability as an issue. We couldn't keep going and showing up at these schools and doing this at thousands of schools. Mm -hmm. Let's train the educators so that they can do it on their own. Mm -hmm. So that made me feel good. We had a sustainable model in place so that they could do it on in their own classrooms or mm -hmm. gyms or whatever it was. So that, that was great. So but I'd say the the business kind of shifted from there because I'm personally, I, after my son was born, I started having some hip pain in both hips and they were just kind of locking. I remember pushing a stroller and one was locking and I kind of ignored it. And, but this was my first time feeling pain in my body mm. for the first time ever. And it didn't feel right. Something just felt stuck in my mm. pelvic area and low back. So I was trying everything, Andrew. I was trying Cairo, physio, every cream, every pill <laughs> to try to get it to, to, to mm -hmm. subside. Mm -hmm. I then also, you know, I, what I thought I had the last bit of quote baby weight to lose, which I think is very, very silly to say. I, no one, there's no proper way to get, there's no right or wrong way to lose any weight after pregnancy. We should just let our bodies heal themselves naturally. I think women, this is a whole other conversation, but women going back into hard exercise, um, is, is really can be detrimental to your body mm -hmm. after having mm -hmm. a baby. And I was one of those women. I went right into a hard exercise regime with a group that was competitive. And guess what? It brought out, like, I have to be the star. It brought out the star in me, mm -hmm. <laughs> which didn't serve me well. So I pushed mm -hmm. myself very hard and I tore both labrums in my hips mm -hmm. while working out. Got very, it. Yeah, it was extremely painful. Um, at that time, I saw a surgeon and he had me do imaging, x-rays, MRIs, and I got the news in 2016 or 17, 17, when he looked at everything, he said, Michelle, you need both your hips replaced. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I was shocked. It was, it was shocking to me. Yeah. And I, I kind of parked it. I didn't want to, I was in complete denial. I thought, what do you like actually hip joints replaced? Mm -hmm. He said, yeah, you have hip dysplasia that was un diagnosed as a child uh, you spent your whole life moving your body 
this surgery was going to have to happen anyway. You just, you just sort of accelerated it with your choice of, of your life. Mm. You, you wore your hip joints down. Yeah. And I think that's, again, it's a testament. Obviously, it's not a good thing to, you know, have that severe osteoarthritis in your hips. But I think that shows you how strong you were all throughout your teens, your early adulthood to actually, one, it wasn't symptomatic or bothering you. And, it, and the arthritis was probably not as bad, but your strength was really what was preventing more and more hip problems. Yeah. I think the average person would have experienced the hip problems a lot earlier if they weren't as strong as you. The second thing is that, yes, you know, whenever we have any type of change in our body, right? After you gave birth with to your son and all of that, like the body needs to heal and recover. And then it's not always going to be the best to respond to the same activities that you did before, right? But unfortunately, yeah. you know, you were getting this hip pain and you had kind of an option and the option was, okay, let's replace your hips, right? Let's talk right. a little bit about that because I feel like that's a big part in, of your journey too. Being so it active sure with hip replacements, hip replacements actually do extremely well. And this is one of the areas of my study. So like this. I kinda, I'm exactly, great. <laughs> they do extremely well, but in relation to the activity that you were at, there is going to be some type of drop off and that's a lifestyle mentally, physically, you know, you have to get used to, to, okay, these are my limitations now because it's not my original hip. Right. So let's that's talk right. about that. Like what was, you know, whatever you want to share, like what was the process okay. for you? What were some of the obstacles? What were some of the good things that came out of it? But what was the hip replacement experience like? Sure. No, this is great to talk about. It's because I, I, I just feel now, you know, four years later, I just feel so grateful that I'm within without any pain. Mm -hmm. Now I know I've experienced pain. So when I work with clients that are in pain, I'm like, I've been there. And they don't, you know, they're like, what do you mean? I tell them. So I just feel like the relatability and the empathy and compassion I have for my clients that are in any sort of pain. That's, that's, I am grateful every day. It's in my every day. I do a gratitude journal every morning, this movement without pain. Mm -hmm. That's what I, because I remember thinking, walking around my neighborhood before pre-surgery going, when will I walk and it won't hurt? When yeah. will I walk and it won't hurt? Because yeah. every step hurt. Yes. So I went, so he, I, he, I went in to see him and I, he, right. You were exactly right, Andrew, when he said it, I, my strength prolonged, like let me go on that long. Cause he said to me, I can't believe you, you've lasted this long. Yeah. These are very shallow sockets mm -hmm. and you danced your whole life. Wow. So, and it never impeded my dance career. I never, the only thing I couldn't do now that I look back as a little girl, I could not do the middle splits. Mm -hmm. So, you know, little, they're like kids are rubber, man. They just yeah. they flop around, uh -huh. but I could never sit froggy in ballet. My teacher would come around and want to push me down. And my, it's mm -hmm. like my hips were stuck and yeah. now I get it. Yep. <laughs> my legs would not go that way. I could do both other splits. So you're yeah. right. My strength kept them really intact, but then all hormones after childbirth, your hips mm -hmm. get in, you know, that's when things are not at their optimal to then go back into a fitness regime that I was used to. So when I went into his office and he said, these needs to be replaced and I was in denial, I, I was in denial of the whole idea of it. So I said, well, he goes, you'll be back. You like, you'll be back when you can't walk. So from there, osteoarthritis kicked in both in both hips. I was bone on bone and the pain was dramatically a lot of agony. Mm -hmm. parallel that with my career that was now taking off in the corporate market. So instead of an education, I was on corporate stages doing wellness things mm -hmm. in agony, Advil, mm -hmm. Motrin, whatever, get on stage, suck it up, go for it. And it was mm -hmm. really hard to fake it when, it, when you're in pain to be, mm -hmm. have to be on stage and, and get people moving. So, but I was still trying my best. Mm -hmm. Anyways, I reached out in May of 2018 to him and said, Dr. Kane, I, I need these. I need this done. He had my first hip done. Uh, my left hip was done in September 2018. Mm -hmm. They couldn't do them at the same time because there was a discrepancy in height. I had worn down the right one so so much, 18 millimeters. So he said we'll do one, and the second one, the closest I'll do them together is 12 weeks. So yes. you you come back when you're ready, and I went back at 12 weeks. Yes. <laughs> and I said let's yes. do the second one. So December, 2018, I had them both, I had, they were both done. Now what shocked me was I'm lying there at like 4 PM after a 8 AM surgery mm -hmm. and the physiotherapist comes around with the walker. I'm like, you want me to get up? 
They had me walking eight hours after surgery. Mm-hmm. So, and they did the, the front, they came in the front with mm-hmm. both my hips. So yes. because of my age and, and um, my fitness level and my body type. So I was on a cane. I went from cane walker to cane within a week. I was walking without the cane, awesome. which was, was blew my mind. I was very diligent about my recovery from that. I was, um, very diligent about getting out and doing whatever they said to do. And I had the you know, physiotherapist come to my home, but also I was so aware of body movement being yes. a professional fitness yes. and dance person my whole life. I knew what my body, but it was like I was in a new body mm-hmm. because of, well, obviously this new foreign titanium objects in my, in my hips, but I didn't, I, I had a hard time identifying with my body at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it took about, I would say by, by 2020, January, right before the pandemic, mm-hmm. I finally felt normal. Now, limitation-wise, I was told no, nothing. If he said he shook my hand ten days after the second surgery, and I haven't seen him since. There's been no follow-up, but he—I guess that's how it works. <laughs> he shook my hand and said, um, "If you take care of these hips, they'll last you 25 years." And I said, "What do you mean take care of?" And he's like, "No impact. If you can do." If you, anything where you're running, pounding, jumping, I was like, wow, that'll, that'll shift me. I was a little bit of a runner, like 5k was my kind of go-to just more mental than physical. Mm-hmm. I love to run short distances, but no downhill skiing, which thank goodness I never do. Nothing that would involve taking off and landing abruptly. Mm-hmm. So that changed things for me. But to be honest, I don't miss any of that hard. Yes pounding at all (laughs) at all I don't miss it my body has responded extremely well I'm in probably the best physical shape I've been in without impact yes and that blows my mind (laughs) yes I think that's a great message because well one all of your experiences with dancing moving and all of that that I can 100% say helped your recovery and just getting that strength back and figuring out how do I use my hips right now because you have to retrain kind of everything. The other thing is that because you're very versed in all these different types of movements, there's even though you can't do certain things because it's not worth the risk to reward, but there's a lot of other things that you can do. And I think you found all of those things, whether that be yoga or other types of strengthening or moving and all of those types of things, I think that helps to keep you strong and you're still, you know, moving, but you're still getting that mental component of exercise and all of that as well. Yes. That's right. Um, yeah. I fell in love with walking. I think because I was affected by being in so much pain, as I mentioned, when I was walking, going, when will I walk without pain? I was so grateful I could walk mm-hmm. that I just walked. <laughs> I, I yes. walked everywhere. My neighborhood would be like, we saw you again. And we saw you here. And we saw you, the, the women from my neighborhood. Yes. Um, but I, I, I really have embraced walking. And I kind of can see now how mm-hmm. when people have any injuries, limitations, age, whatever it is, that, that walking does work. Like yeah. you don't need to run. Yeah. It's the same. You know, you're getting the same steps. Maybe you're heart rate isn't getting up as much, but I saw the same positive results, actually even better, to be honest, from Mm -hmm. lots of walking. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Yes. So I can tell that you recovered well, you know, it does take a little time, especially if you're really physically active, you're trying to do more things than just daily movement, right? So it took a little while, you said the second surgery was end of 2018. And then it was like, right before the pandemic hit, that's when it started Mm -hmm. to feel a little better, which I'm glad you're at that point. But let's talk right? about, I know this is a significant part of your journey and what has drove you to do all of the great things you're doing now is let's talk about the pandemic. So yes, you can share whatever you're open to sharing, but I think a lot okay. of people will be able to relate to this, this part of your story through the pandemic. Okay. Yes. No problem. So yeah, so I'm, I'm, it's 2020 January and I have a pretty full calendar for the rest of the year. I'm, I'm now getting booked for some keynote addresses. Um, doing some content creation for a couple of U.S. company or U.S. company and a Canadian company. I'm, I'm, you know, doing booking workshops. I'm sort of like on a bit of a roll all around movement and wellness. So again, not breath and fire. We talked earlier about that being like the new, you know, the new iteration of all the many things. But it was, um, you know, talking about wellness and mental health and things like that. However, underlying all of it, I, I've always been a, he- a heavy drinker. So alcohol has been a big part of my story. 
now socially my whole life, I think it's sort of typical to have it, you go to university or college and you get involved in partying and binge drinking. It's not, no, not out of the norm, but then into my twenties and thirties and into my early forties, I definitely enjoyed drinking wherever I went. I was an opportunistic drinker. I would find the group that drank and drink with them mm -hmm. socially. I even found, you know, when uh, when I was had my my son, you know, finding the, the mums in the park that liked to drink with their wine tumblers and you know, it yeah. became normalized that, uh -huh. you know, oh, take the edge off. It's been a rough day. Oh, finally, the baby's napping. Let's have a drink. Like there's all mm -hmm. there was all these connections to to drinking or at least I saw them. Maybe uh -huh. it was just <laughs> it was this, the opportunistic drinker in me. So I, it's part of a really part, important part of my story when I look back to the hips as well. Uh, the pain of recovery, I definitely drank more. Sorry, the pain of, of before the surgeries. Yes. Mm -hmm. I definitely was using wine as another way to sort of self-medicate. Mm -hmm. And then the recovery process, I was literally laid up for, I'd never been grounded. Like literally having to be still and not move my body was mm -hmm. very foreign to me. So the boredom of recovery with that also came drinking. Yeah. So they were really connected to my hips too. I saw that my identity was sort of changed. I was, I couldn't be the, as we've talked about the, mm -hmm. the, the star, the extrovert that I was sort of mm -hmm. conditioned to be as a kid. Mm -hmm. So I had, to, yeah, I leaned hard into the drinking during my hip surgeries as well. So then there's the pandemic. And as of March, 2020, I'm getting emails canceled, postponed, you know, pivoted online, neck uh, 2021. And so everything that I sort of booked up was being when it was gone mm -hmm. and that I was finally healthy. I was finally pain free and I had things booked up and that was also my way. And like, I loved my work. It was like an escape for me mm -hmm. to sort of get away from life in a way, let's say, because I really enjoyed, I'm very passionate about what I do. So that's all gone. So I leaned hard into the second escape, which was alcohol and Andrew to the point where I, it, I mean, I know there's stories of people drinking too much during COVID. I have heard many because it became, you know, again, normalized and uh, people were isolated, bored, many, many substance abuse, just new addictions came out. So uh, it, it got worse and worse through in 2020. I was not working. I was home. My son was home from school. My husband at the time was, I got to have my own little escape too. And then to the point where, um, November of 2020, I actually surrendered that I had a problem and I went to a treatment center for 30 days mm -hmm. in, um, up, in, up in Northern Ontario here. And I've been in a recovery journey ever since then. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's been a huge part of my story yes. <laughs> was I don't drink any, I don't drink alcohol at all anymore. I am, mm -hmm. my life has changed completely, mm -hmm. not only just physically, but more internally and in, like in my soul. It's shifted yes. completely. Yeah. Yes. So that's well, what that's, happened. <laughs> that's really awesome to hear. I know the, you know, through those struggles and the tough times, nothing is easy, right? And, you know, it's even you just having to go get help, right? And mm -hmm. do all of these things to overcome some of the things that were holding you back from being the best that you could be, right? I think that's you know, everyone can relate to that. And that's super commendable. And I, you know, I give you a lot of credit for all of the great things that have come out of it too, through COVID. Mm -hmm. right? So for let's talk sure. a little bit about after that, right? After COVID, because as we know, you know, I mean, things are starting to get back to normal now, but it's still yeah. not, everything is not completely back to normal. So, you no. know, talk a little bit about like, what was it like to regroup and go in a yeah. different pivot a little bit and go in a different direction. And how did you come up with this breath and fire concept and mm -hmm. the goals and what you wanted to do to reach more people? For sure. So, yeah. So I, you know, what's funny too, is I, people knew I liked, like they, Michelle was always known to be social, always a good time. Uh, even at all the events and conferences, I was on stages talking about wellness and yet I was you know, either hung over on stage, I can be honest, why not be honest? <laughs> or I was, I was looking to reward myself with a drink after the presentation. So even though I was speaking about wellness and presented as a healthy fit woman, I was not well. So that, that we never know what people are going through underneath mm -hmm. everything. So what I feel like now in, in this current, you know, 2022 is yes, I'm speaking about wellness, 
and movement and meditation and personal development and self introspection, but I'm living it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I never lived it. And that I can't beat. You can't beat it when you're actually authentically right in it. And that's what I feel like I've really discovered in this journey, creating breath and fire is tapping into my authentic self again. That girl that I'd mentioned on the cruise ship yes. at 23, traveling the world and dancing. And I, and knowing that sort of knowing herself, I got, I was starting to scratch the surface of getting to know myself then. Mm-hmm. And then life just happened for 20 years. Yes. Beautiful things happen. I, mm-hmm. I have a beautiful son. I had a business. I have two new hips. Like it, yes. it's a, it's, but with that came, um, came alcohol and came, and that's sort of where I was escaping because I think that that authentic self, that person that I was just starting to explore that I lost her somewhere. So I feel like I'm picking her up again now and, and figuring out, you know, what now what with this new body, you have two new hips and you're not 24, you're 47. What can this body do that's going to keep me for 30 more years? And how can I inspire other people to find their breath and fire? So the, the hope of, of what I created was that I'll inspire people to, number one, take a deeper look at like themselves in this sort of current life. So my program is called Homecoming. Okay. And it's a three-week intensive program. I guess it is like coaching. It's like a group coaching program that involves movement, meditation, and personal reflection activities. And, uh, and it's a, a sort of that, that trifecta is an apparent in all my programs. Mm-hmm. Even if a corporate group wants me to come in for 15 minutes in the middle of their big sales meeting day, I will still do, we, we breathe, we move, we reflect. It does, it's not just come in and get us moving. I don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. So those three are always part of breath and fire. And then, you know, the hope is that in the homecoming that after three weeks that they see maybe there's a little area in their life they need to get curious about and make changes and not being afraid to make those changes and what mm-hmm. that entails. But really it's about getting people to find that person again. So when you ask somebody, when's the last time you actually felt like yourself? People have to take a, usually have to take a long pause. Yes. But if we can get, get into that, cause we all know that moment when we really felt like ourselves mm-hmm. and yeah. I've show I'm living proof that I lost her along the way. Mm-hmm. And it unfortunately had to sort of, you know, there's a, a saying that is on my, that is part of breath and fire is I had to burn the house down to find home. I kind of had to burn things down with the substance abuse. Uh, I went through a divorce as well during COVID, which is amicable and it's, it's all, it's all worked out for the best, mm-hmm. but a lot of changes had to happen, mm-hmm. but now I'm on the other side of it. And, um, I have found my home. I have yes. found the way my body wants to move. It's I'm gentle with it. And if I miss a day, guess what? It doesn't matter. Tomorrow's yeah. a new day. I used to beat myself up so bad if I missed a day. Yes. Um, but I have a different mindset. I, I, my body is my, it, 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 I'm grateful for it. I love it. And I, I didn't love it for many years. There's so many great things that you said there. And I mean, just even be grateful <laughs> for the things that you can do, right? Because your body, it's, it's the one thing that we need to take care of because we only have one body. So, you know, being grateful mm. for all of the things that you can do, not only physically, but everything else, you got to appreciate all of the things that you can do, right? But let's talk right. about, so, I mean, there's so many things, unfortunately, you know, there were many struggles and obstacles, but like you said, you've came out on the other side, a lot stronger, you're you know, in a much better place, you're living it, you're able to pass that message on to help others live it too, right? So there's so many aspects of here that's excellent that you're trying to, or that you are helping and inspiring all of these other people. But let's talk about it. You mentioned it earlier about the balance, right? And I know you do a lot of meditation, self-reflection, you know, all of those types of things to balance out the fire part, right? So talk a little bit about what started that for you, right? I mean, obviously the obstacles through COVID and the pandemic, but mm-hmm. what started that for you? And then you realized that this is something that, again, you couldn't find out there. So let's create this because I think it's so valuable and I'm experiencing the benefits from it. Yes, I would love to share about that. So that is something because I catch myself even on a daily basis. So I'll start with like more of a current day situation. Uh-huh. If I look at my calendar for the day coming up and I say, okay, teach there, meet that person for a coffee, um, podcast interview here, uh, take James to baseball. And I see all the things that I consider fire. In my prior life, when I was, you know, sort of mindlessly floating through and alcohol was helping me along the way, I would, in those spare moments, run an errand. 
call a friend, book another thing, go for a run. I would fill my day with fire and not even realize what I was doing. And then I'd feel depleted or exhausted or angry or there was always something and I would do it all over again. So now when I look at a day like that, I'm like, this is where I'm going to nap. <laughs> this is where I'm going to do that half an hour meditation. This is where I'm going to be alone because I'm going to go from that to that. And I have an hour. So I'm going to go home alone or I'm going to go sit in nature, or sit by the water and just be alone. So I build in solitude. That is so new for me. Yes. And that's the breath and that's the fire. Okay. And so it, it, come, it, it came from me in recovery. So I've been in recovery since November, 2020, but I've been continuously sober since July 21st of last year. So I'm over a year of sobriety, which is, mm -hmm. feels great. That's awesome. Yes. But it, yeah, thanks. <laughs> but it's been in, in my recovery journey where I've been like really looking at myself and realizing that's where it was like, oh, I don't do enough calming. And we learn a lot about the calming and the grounding and how important that is. So I started doing that on my own when I got into recovery and, and late 2020 and then realized that it's something that I wanted to 100% include in whatever offering and putting out to the world. And that's where the breath and the fire came together. So it, it's, yeah, it's been, it's been a beautiful creation and it just feels like I said, part of me, I'm just putting myself out into the world and, and the things that I do and live every day. Yes. That is so awesome to hear. And prior to all of this, were you doing any type of meditation or breath work or any type of breathing things? Because I know everything was, you know, go, go, go. But was this yeah. something that you revisited more or was this something completely new? It was something I was exposed to in 20 or 2009, 10. And okay. I should say at the end of that Grooving Kids program, we always had the children mm -hmm. melt to the ground and we did a three minutes of stillness, we called it. So I do always have a, I've had a deep appreciation for Mm -hmm. keeping the body still and breathing. So that was something that was always part of the program. But in terms of a meditation practice, mm -hmm. I have never dove in as deeply as I have now in the last year and a half. And I, t I can tell you every day, I, I do not miss a day. And mm -hmm. it started, it started, it starts baby, it started with baby steps, you know, a five minute guided meditation, then a 10, one, then 15 of somebody guiding me. Mm -hmm. And now I really am more comfortable in my practice doing 20 minutes of just not silence, but like either a hum or a noise or something you can find great things on those apps. Yes. So it is, and I, you know, it, and it really is a practice. It's not, Oh, I'm stressed. I'm anxious. This is happening. I need to meditate. It's a yeah. practice every day. So that when that stuff does happen, that triggers you to whatever, have an explosion, your body has, knows how to handle it because yes. of the meditation practice. Yes. So I've always been interested. I was like meditative curious, I guess, 10, uh -huh. 15 years ago, but I, now it's deep, a deeply a practice. Got it. That is awesome yeah. to hear. And is this something that even in the three weeks you get the students or the clients exposed to how important some of these calming practices are to kind of reflect, almost like reset your system again so that you can manage yeah. and cope with all the stressors in life. Is this part of that homecoming program? It is. And the very first activity, Andrew, is a breath and fire inventory. So I have them do a list of what brings you joy and now categorize though that list and make it extensive. What brings you joy? And in that list, what is breath and what is fire? So someone might have like gardening and fishing and my animals and mm -hmm. cookies, maybe baking brings them breath. Like everyone has a different way yes. what their breath and their fire is. Maybe fire is, you know, dancing, playing hockey with my buddies or um, being with friends or whatever it is. And they can, there can be crossover. So someone mm -hmm. has said to me, can music be in both? I was like, absolutely. So can yeah. movement. So can, they can, they can mm -hmm. fall into both categories. So they do an inventory for awareness and then meditation is part of the daily. So I have recordings. I'm actually a teacher on insight timer. So I have a couple on there. Um, but also they get from me guided meditations that I've recorded that is suggested to do at night or they can do it whenever they want, but it's part of the experience as well. That's awesome. You touched on a lot of it already, but is there anything else? Like what do people, what can they expect if they enroll in homecoming? Right. And what right. kinds of people, obviously everyone can benefit from it. Right. But yeah. what kinds of people do you think that you're trying to reach or inspire or, you know, what is homecoming made for? Like, is there a certain type of person? Yeah. 
maybe that you can relate to or that you think that this would be a perfect program, you know, if you're interested, you should definitely go check it out. For sure. So homecoming, first of all, yeah, it's three weeks. It can be done from anywhere in the world because virtual, I guess, time difference would be a uh, thing. However, we, I record all them. So we, we do a live experience Monday, Wednesday, Friday on Zoom. So we come together and I lead everybody in half an hour uh, breath and fire experience. But you can be, I record them and you get access to it. Okay. Now, in terms of who it's for, you're right. It is for any, it is for everybody. Anybody going through a little bit of a transition or, or feeling stuck and just want, want, need a little push in terms of their, either their routine because we do start in the morning at 6.30. I love the mornings. I'm not sure if you're a morning person, but I yes. am a 5 a.m.er. Uh -huh. <laughs> that is totally new for me in recovery. <laughs> but I adore the mornings. So uh, oftentimes people sign up because they want to learn how to start a morning routine. So it's the movement, the journaling, the reading, doing their own thing that I encourage them to do in the morning. But it's for, it's for anybody that's got just a little, they know something's a little off in their life, whether it be their job, maybe their spouse, mm -hmm. where they live, um, their parenting style, their body. They're not happy with their physical body. So just when they feel like something's a bit off, it's just a great reset. And it's a great way to like spend on yourself. It's mm -hmm. a true self-introspection three weeks, yes. looking at all angles, but then also you're going to move every day. We're going to meditate every day. And we're going to do some guided journal prompts and, and activities. So it really is tailored for that person that just wants a little shift in the right direction, but it's, it's up to them because it is very self-directed. Mm -hmm. I'm there to coach them. They get a one, they get a call per week with me on the phone, but really it is about, it is, it is a self, I can't make anybody do it. There has to be a willingness to sign up yes. and uh, you know, an awareness. And the, the, the three weeks are mapped out where the first week is all about awareness. The second week is acceptance. And the third week is action. So there is an action. I'm, I'm a solution-based person. Mm -hmm. And by the third week, there is a roadmap laid out from what you've been aware of, what you've accepted, and what you've planned that you want to make a change. Mm -hmm. So it, it's intense and a lot can happen in those three weeks. Yes. I completely agree. A lot can happen in three weeks. And you know that's for mm -hmm. everything that we do, right? no one can make you do anything, right? You can bring the horse to the water, but you can't force it to drink the water, right? So there's so many things that I think there's a lot of resources here. And, you know, for anybody, just take that action, take that first step to, you know, if you need this, then again, you have to try it and then you never know how it might change or impact your life, right? So there's so many great now, things. Yeah, you, and even a small thing like this, this is funny, a woman that did it in, not funny, it's amazing, in May, because we start in the mornings cross-legged. That's how we okay. start. We, we start at 6.30 on our live Zooms and I have beautiful music playing in the background and we're mm -hmm. our eyes closed. And I do a whole five minutes of, you know, arriving, body awareness, breathing. And the first day she said she was in agony sitting cross-legged because okay. she had just, who sits cross-legged unless you're mm -hmm. five years old <laughs> mm -hmm. on the teacher's mat. <laughs> and by the three weeks we're over, completely pain-free yes. cross-legged so that's a small thing but a big thing you know just even sitting cross-legged another woman could finally touch her toes yes. we do a lot of forward fold forward yes. fold and sway uh, and forward fold and i do a lot of functional movements andrew so you know it's not a fitness class it's not a dance class i call it functional intentional movement to mm -hmm. music Mm -hmm. So we're doing things like folding in half and twisting and shaking and swinging, like a lot of inspired yes. by, sure, by, sure, by dance, but really it's just mm -hmm. ways that our body loves to move. It's like almost like childlike play. Yes. Yes. That's what we, that's what we do in our, in our, in homecoming. Yes. No, that is awesome. And I, you know, I'm curious now to see all of the things in your program, but yeah, there's a lot of things. Cause like, we don't realize how much we don't use our body until you're put in these situations where you have to use your body. And then after you realize it, or after a little while you realize, yeah, there are some positive changes. I'm adapting. Well, I can sit cross-legged mm -hmm. without pain. Right. Because again, that's not something that we normally do on a day-to-day -day basis, but it's something that our body mm -hmm. should definitely be capable of doing you know so i think there's sure. a lot of things that your program is very comprehensive bringing together like mind body and spirit and again finding that balance between the fire and you know the calming yeah. the breath and all of those types yeah. of things some people are more breath they they're they got a yes. pilot light they need some like they need to be sparked <laughs> yes. some people come to the program because they have too much breath 
They're yes. like, I need, I need more fire in my That's life. True. This is why I'm here. Yes. And other people need more, more breath. So they're coming at it. My whole thing is I want to be a controlled blaze. I don't want to be an inferno or a pilot light. I want to be this nice controlled blaze where really too, it's about awareness. I'll catch myself and I'll feel it. I'll actually feel it. I'm like, I'm on fire too much today. I need to retreat. I need to go home alone in quiet and rest, not nap, just rest. And yes. these things I never did. I was just go, 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 go like crazy. Yes. That is a perfect analogy right there. You want to just be a consistent blaze, right? So again, nice that blaze. balance, yeah, that balance for everybody is something that, I mean, it's sustainable. It's good for your health long-term. It's good for your mental health, physical health, everything. So is there anything else about, I know you have other things going on besides homecoming. So is there anything else that you want to talk about, about how you're reaching people? I know you do keynote speeches, you do other sure. types of events too. So why don't you explain a little bit about that for people that are interested and might want to check it out? Sure. No. So yeah, homecoming is the, is the intensive group coaching three week and that runs five times a year, but on an ongoing basis, I'm, I'm hired by large companies or, you know, it can be organizations, charitable organizations or corporate, doesn't matter to come in and do either workshops or keynote addresses or activations in the middle of a big presentation or a big meeting that they would have where I address breath and fire and I call it find your flame. So it's, it's taking my personal story and my experiences woven into messages of taking care of your flame. What does that mean? Finding your breath and igniting your fire. And in, in any crowd, whether they're, you know, I just did one a couple months ago for 1,600 HR employees for a large grocery chain we have in Canada. Mm -hmm. And they're all in suits and dress clothes and we do it. We move. We doesn't yeah. matter what the, I mean, and there's that, sure there's that resistance and, um, but it really, I just try to connect with them human to human. Like you're a human, I'm a human, let's just have a human experience. Yes. And, and, and really disarming them around having, oh, moving my body, I'm going to be embarrassed, the judgment. I talk about that a lot as well. Uh -huh. It's shutting that voice up in our head. Um, so yeah, so I do all that. And then I also create content for um, companies that want any like wellness programming for uh -huh. their clients or their staff or employees. Um, and then one-on-one -on -one coaching if someone's interested in more like deeper, not as a, the group is homecoming, but if they want one-on-one, -on -one, that is six week. Where, six week is more like I'm walking them through homecoming one-on-one. -on -one. It's much more intense. Uh, got it. Yeah. So that's, that's what Breath and Fire does. Yeah. Got it. There's a lot of awesome things there and you are definitely making, impacting people's lives in a positive way and inspiring them to find this balance to, you know, get moving or be calmer and all of these types of things. And let's talk about, so all of the things that you got going on now, what's kind of the future direction? What are some of the things that you're working on, whatever you're willing to share that we can look sure. forward to and, you know, also how to find all of this information too, but let's start with what's the future direction. Well, the future is I have to take care of my flame or I can't help anybody else's. Yes. So that's, that is always on the top of mind. I've got to keep my, I've got to keep my recovery strong. I've got to keep my flame at its control blaze to keep doing the work for other people. So yes. that's, that is number one for me. And it may sound selfish, but I don't see it. I see it as the opposite. Yeah. If I'm going to inspire, I have to keep my own flame at its, at its optimal peak. <laughs> yes. So finding my breath and fire. So continuing to do the work of keynote addresses and um, workshops, homecoming will still be running. I just had journals printed so people can actually purchase on my website, a homecoming journal, which they can do on their own self-directed mm -hmm. or do it with the program. So mm -hmm. they're going to be, they actually are just getting printed today, which is exciting. So kind of going down the line of some merchandise, candles, journals, clothing kind of coming, which I think is, is really exciting for me to have on ongoing. And then, I don't know, maybe a book is in my future to yes. tell, tell my story. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's, always, it's kind of muse, musing around with it right now. Yes, whatever your future endeavors are, I'm sure that you'll do great. You'll use all of your <laughs> well, experiences, yes, to package it in a way to help and relate more people. And I, I think the last thing, oh, before before I forget, I'll put it all in the show notes. Yes. How can they find more information? Your website, social media, and all of those things. Sure, yes. Um, breathandfire.com, mm -hmm. super easy. And then the best way to see sort of a dynamic because uh, that's more static information. Dynamic information would be through Instagram. So Michelle underscore breath and fire. 
and everything is on there. So yeah, and I just, you know, people just need to know their flame hasn't, it hasn't gone out. Even though you might feel like it's flickering or blazing, it, it's not, you know, it hasn't gone out and I can, I can help. Because yeah. I've been there. I've, yeah. I've, I had that, my flame almost went out. Yes. And that kind of leads into the last question. I wanted to ask any words of wisdom or what is the message you want to get to someone who might be listening to this? Maybe someone that's going through struggles or a hard time, but also maybe someone that's just thinking, like you said, maybe something's missing or I'm not at the place that I want to be. You know, what's the words of wisdom that you have for them? What types of messages do you want to pass on to those listeners to, you know, it doesn't have to even be on our content, right? But things to inspire you to go look on, be introspective and think about how can you make this positive change for yourself? So if I'm sitting here listening to this and it's me five years ago, what I want someone to tell me is number one, I'd want to hear I'm not alone because we think we're alone in our struggles. So knowing when when you join a group or surrender or are willing to say, I'm having a problem with my job or drinking or whatever it is, you, you need to know you're not alone, that, that everybody, you find groups and people that you feel connected to. Also, you know, we only get one life. I, I'm, I'm midlife right now and I'm writing a new chapter of my life that I never thought would be this chapter five years ago and I couldn't be happier, but we only get one. It's never too late and we're never too old. So if you're sitting there, you're thinking, God, I'm 60. What, what hope do I have? It's not too late. There's always hope. And who cares what people think? Like that is a big one. Drop the narrative that people care what you're doing. <laughs> because if you are identifying, well, if I say that, then she's going to think that. I can't leave my job because of that. I, you you got to focus on yourself. And really nobody cares at the end of the day, except for you. And we got to let that go. So mm-hmm. having the willingness, knowing it's not too late and really dropping the narrative that people care. I mean, they care for you, but that they're going to be, that you got to do it for you. You can't do anything yes. for anybody else. Yes. That is a but great it, message. I'll leave it yes. At that. yes. For everybody, I think you have to find the underlying reason why why you want to do certain things for yourself, right? And like you said, it's not in a selfish way because that's how you're going to impact and help more people, you know, around you, your loved ones. So we need to make sure that we can focus on taking care of ourselves so that we can make a positive impact on all of those around us. But no, this is a great, great, great conversation. (laughs) I thank you so much for sharing your entire story and, you know, everyone go check it out. Yes, go check out your content, your websites and your website. And maybe this is something that you want to, you know, experience. So if you do, then you have a lot of information on your website, how to sign up and all of that. But other than that, I had a great, great time talking to you. And thank you so much for sharing your story. I know a lot of people will relate to this. And other than that, thanks so much for joining me. Any last words? No, just thank you and keep that flame alive. Yes. We only get one of them. So we, we have to find that breath and ignite that fire. So thanks for having me. I really, really enjoyed it. We covered a lot of information, yes. <laughs> but I, I enjoy it. it. It's healing for me to share. So I appreciate it too. I'm really grateful. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much.